You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Well, I know there's no preschool down that way. Our preschool is in here tonight. And so if you have a crying baby, you just let that baby cry. That's kind of why we've gathered anyway to remember a, a baby being born in Bethlehem, cried out in the middle of the darkness, and we realized that our Savior had come. So crying babies, you're welcome to cry. Not the whole time, but whenever you need to cry, you can cry. Um, adults, if you need to cry at some point, you just feel free to cry. Also, um, glad all you're here. We've been looking these last several weeks of the implications of the truth um, that Christ has come. What does that mean for us? Like, what does that mean for our lives? We, we sing the songs, we remember the narrative of angels and shepherds and manger and Mary and Joseph, but, but what does it mean for our lives today? Like, how does that impact us? And we have, we've looked at a few things over the course of the past few weeks. First of all, we, we saw that now that Christ has come, there's now a new way to relate to God. Before Christ came, we related to God from a distance. We can now walk with him up close. We used to relate to God with, with fear. Now we can relate to God in, in confidence because Christ has come. Secondly, we, we discovered a few weeks ago that light has now entered into the darkness of our world. Christ came, light came. Um, when light enters in, it pushes back darkness. When light enters in, you can see things. When, when light enters in, you can understand things. And, and Christ, the light of the world, has entered into the darkness of our world, but also believers Christ has entered the darkness of our, of our hearts as well. Christ and his light is pushing back the darkness. Thirdly, we saw that mercy is now available for those who need it. And I think we all came to the agreement that we all need the mercy of God. And he loves to distribute it abundantly. When Christ came, mercy is now revealed to us. Last Sunday, we saw the implications of Christ coming. And in this eternal life with God is now offered on the basis of grace. There's now an invitation for everyone in this room and everyone in Waco and everyone in the world to step into a relationship with God through Christ because of what Christ has done. Before Christ came, we had to keep the law perfectly. Before Christ came, we had to be the ones who obeyed in all ways, to keep every law all the time. But then Christ came and he perfectly obeyed the law. Christ came, he kept all the laws all of the time. And so we can now enter not based on our works, but based upon the work of Christ, the completed work of Christ on the cross. And so we can now enter in and eternal life is being offered to us based not on our works, but based on the grace of God. Today, fifthly, we're going to wrap this series up. Because he faithfully came once, we can trust him to come again. That is the implication of, of Christmas. Because he faithfully came the first time, he will faithfully come again. Maybe a better way to put it is this. The first Christmas proves that there will be a second Christmas. That the first coming of Christ proves that he will come again. You know, there's four mountain peaks in, in the Bible of the prophecies of, of Christ. All four of these prophecies are mentioned in the Old Testament. All four mentioned in the New Testament as well. Uh, the first peak, if you will, is the coming of Christ. Second peak was the death of Christ. The third peak was, was the resurrection of Christ. And we're looking for that fourth peak now, which is the return of Christ, the return of, of, of the king. And so when you think about it, three-fourths of those peaks are already in our rearview mirror. Like Christ has already completed 75% of the prophecies about him. If, if, if Jesus were, were a baseball player, we would say that he's batting a 750 right now. 
but he's still coming up to the plate one more time. And we're waiting for the return of, of Christ because he has faithfully come once. We can trust him to come again. So my goal this evening, knowing that it's Christmas, knowing that the preschool is in here with us tonight, um, my goal tonight is not to give you all the details of the return of Christ, all the details of, of end times, and, and just the opposite. I'm going to give you a big picture of what Christ talks about, of how we are to now live in light of the second Christmas, knowing that Christ will come again. I want to show you what you can bank your life on. I want to show you what, what matters. I want to show you what does not matter also in in this life. And as bold as it may sound today, I want to prepare everyone in this room for the future that will be. If you're a copy of God's Word, would you go with me, please? The very first gospel, the gospel of Matthew. And let's go to chapter 24 together. I love when babies cry in harmony. That was amazing that that happened just then. It's like they send a code to one another. There's the code. Anybody want to join in? We're on to you, babies. Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to read the first four verses, and we'll kind of walk through this together, see what God has to say to us tonight. Matthew chapter 24, we'll read verses 1 through 4 to begin with. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Verse three, and he sat down on, or he sat on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them. This is an interesting answer. See that no one leads you astray. So Jesus was returning from Jerusalem. We can kind of catch the geography just in the way that, that Matthew writes this in verses one through four. He had just cleaned out the temple a few chapters earlier. He had told a few parables about, about his second coming. He had pronounced the seven woes over the religious leaders. In fact, Jesus was pretty bristly toward, toward them. He lamented and wept over Jerusalem. And now we can tell that he's moving eastwardly because he's headed toward the Mount of Olives. And so he would have left the temple that would have been behind him. He would have gone down the Kidron Valley. That was right east of the temple, right east of the Temple Mount. And now he's made his way up the Mount of Olives. And so he's kind of gone down the Kidron Valley, leaving Jerusalem, headed up now toward, uh, toward the Mount of Olives. And he, and he sits down up there. And somewhere along the way, the disciples come to him and they point out the temple. They're just kind of looking at the, the, the miracle, the, the miraculous nature, if you will, of the beautiful temple, which was behind him. And he says in, in verse two and in verse three, they sit down and, and they begin to ask questions about the end times. Now, the fact that this is on the Mount of Olives is kind of interesting because this is where Jesus will return. It's also why theologians call this chapter the, the Olivet Discourse. It's where Jesus begins to tell about his second coming there from the Mount of, of Olives. Let's pick it up here in, in verse 5, Matthew 24, verse 5. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they, these false teachers, will lead many away and you will you will hear of wars and rumors of war see that you are not alarmed for this must take place but the end is not yet verse 7 for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places all of these are but the beginning of the birth pains then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So we begin to hear now in verses 5 through 9, Jesus is telling us the signs 
of his return, the signs of the second Christmas and what they're going to look like. So basically, Jesus just told us 11 things in those short five verses, and we're going to look at a few of those shortly. Let's pick it up here in verse 10. Here are the rest of what we're going to look at this evening. And then many will fall away. So this is Matthew 24, 10. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, here's the good news, will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, then the end will come. So verses 10 through 14, you see seven more negative or, or troubling signs. Actually, in verse 10 through 12. But then you begin to see this one hopeful glorious sign in, in verse 14. So let me just teach through this very quickly this evening. First of all, what will increase near the second Christmas? What's going to be on the increase as we get closer and closer to the second Christmas? The first thing we see here, those following Christ will be led astray. There will be many, actually Jesus said, many who will be led astray. We see that in verse four. We see that in verse five. We see it again in, in, in verse 11. Let me just read verse 11 to you. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. It's the same word used back in verse four, verse five. Many will be led astray. So those following Christ, many of them will be led astray. There's a lot we can talk about here uh, in this, but, but it's Christmas, and so I will not talk a whole lot about this. But to suffice to say, there's two things we can take away from just the thought that those following Christ, many will be led astray. First of all, practical, the importance of being in a church that teaches and preaches God's word and that adheres to, to scripture, hangs on to scripture, the importance of being a church family that's serious about knowing scripture, because if you know scripture and you know the Holy Spirit, those are the two fortresses that push back a temptation or even the, the opportunity or the possibility to being led astray. Secondly, we see in here how easy Christians or followers can fall into a similar sounding gospel. The enemy always comes with a counterfeit gospel and counterfeit always looks very similar to what is what is real. And so we're, there's a, there is a growing tide. We see it in our nation today. We see it around the world today of really three false gospels. The, the gospel of prosperity, the gospel of works, and, and the gospel of, of, of personality, the, 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 the uh, gospel of a charming personality. And, and we see that, that, that people fall for this gospel of prosperity because it sounds very promising People falling for the gospel of works because it almost makes sense, more sense to us than a gospel of grace. And certainly in our, in our media of savvy world today, we also see that people fall for personalities. They, they, they fall for charm. They fall for, for influence. Thus, a false teacher can say in verse 4, I am the Christ, and they will lead what? Verse 4, many, sad word, many away. Here's the second thing that will increase near the second Christmas. Humanity despising humanity. We see that in verse 5, verse 6, the beginning of verse 7. There's war, there's hatred, there, there's killing. There's greed for money, there's greed for power, there's greed for things. I think that could probably explain right there what's happening in Ukraine, even, even this evening. A, a hunger for power, a hunger for control, a hunger for more things. We see it in our nation today, this, this polarizing. These people taking, taking sides, the kind, of, kind of that middle part of our, of our nation. You just don't see that anymore. And I'm not talking just politically, but on, on issues and certainly on politics. 
uh, in the culture itself. Pe- people are so polarized now. And, and there's this, this disinformation. That's kind of that phrase right there. There's these rumors of, of war. Uh, disinformation, I see a few military people in here. Disinformation used to be a strategic policy of the military that was traded back and forth between state departments. Now disinformation is seen by 3 billion people on Facebook. And, and like there's all these rumors, all, all these, this, this false news, if you will. And Jesus said those things will be on, on the increase. The third thing we see increasing as we near the second Christmas is nature growing restless. We see it in the very end of, of verse 7, the, the, the earthquakes, the, the famines in certain parts of, of the world. Now, I know conservatives call that kind of out of our control climate change. Uh, progressives uh, call it poor stewardship of, of our planet. It doesn't really matter what you call it. Jesus calls it a sign of his return. And, and I tried my best to offend everybody just then by, by <laughs> listing all those, all those groups. Nature will be growing restless. Here's the fourth thing that will increase near the second Christmas, a growing hatred toward faithful Christians. Verse nine, this is where we see this. And really, this is where this is all headed. Um, if you have watched our nation at all the last five to seven years, you, you would say, you would have to say, there is a growing animosity toward believers in Christ. Those especially, again, who stand on, on the word of God as, as truth, but more will come. And the little that maybe Christians in America have been persecuted is nothing compared to our family in North Korea or, or in Saudi Arabia or, or in Nigeria. But don't disassociate verse 9 from verse 10, because here's the, the fifth increase of things near the second Christmas. Christians will be, be growing cold in their love. You see this in verse 10. You see it repeated again in, in verse 12. In other words, as people begin to turn on Christians in our nation around the world, Christians begin to turn on Jesus. They begin to walk away from, from their faith. They begin to, to turn on the, the hot love they used to have for Christ has now grown cold. The love they had for others in the name of Christ will, will grow cold. They, they walk away in, in difficult times. Uh, another buzzword in our social media these days is, is deconstruction or spiritual deconstruction. Um, I don't think that's because of some cerebral awakening that the younger generation is having. I think it's, it's immature believers who go through difficult times and they don't know what to do. And so they just, they just walk away from their faith. Christians growing cold in, in their love. I, I think that many of them weren't spiritually grounded to begin with. That's, that's just my opinion. John Dash Durham at hbcwaco.org if you would like to engage in that disagreement. But here's the sixth thing that, that happens. And this, this is the, the good thing. There are enduring Christians and the gospel will spread. In those last days, the gospel will spread. We see that in verse 13, verse, verse, verse 14. There are these followers of Jesus who endure. They are bolstered by the gospel. They are bolstered by their church community. They're bolstered by their time in the word. They're, they're bolstered by a deepening relationship with Christ. They're bolstered by this dependence upon the Holy Spirit. So they endure. And many are going to have to endure because the gospel is going to have to go entire, into the entire world. I've been so encouraged this past year by the mission strategy of Jamie Hip, our, our Go pastor. Jamie is, is leading our church to go to nations, especially people groups who have not heard the gospel. This is why we're, we're sharing the gospel with, with Muslim refugees in Amsterdam. It's why we're going to an unnamed nation. I can't even tell you what the nation is in, in North Africa 
to take the gospel to people that, that don't hear the gospel. It's why we're taking the gospel to New York City and, and refugees there. And soon you'll be hearing about some, some teams and trips going to Vancouver, which has kind of become the international hub of North America right now, where there's a growing number of, of non-believers, especially Muslims, who have not heard of, of the good news of Christ. I love, Highland, that you have adopted Ananias House that is taking the gospel into Syria, a place where, where the gospel is rarely heard. I love, Highland, that you have adopted Elam as one of our mission partners. They're taking the gospel into Iran, which I've said before is the fastest growing movement of the gospel in the history of Christianity ever since 50 AD to 100 AD after the resurrection of Christ. I, what I'm trying to say, Highland, and you may not even realize it, but you're living out the prophecy of Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. As the gospel goes to the ends of the, of the earth and all the tribes and all the nations and all the tongues hear this good news, we have to be a part of that. You are a part of that. It's the gospel strategy. The gospel will spread. That will be on the increase. And then Jesus gives it a description of that second Christmas. It's the fourth prophetic peak of Jesus. Remember, we have his, his arrival. We're celebrating that today. His death, his resurrection, we'll celebrate that in April. The, the one that we're waiting for is, is here in Matthew chapter 24. Here's the last verses I want us to look at, verses 29 through 31. Here's how Jesus describes the fourth peak. Here's how Jesus describes his resurrection. So Matthew chapter 24, beginning verse 20, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. There will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Let's look at two things and compare the first Christmas with the second Christmas. First Christmas, he snuck into our world quietly the first time. There will be no sneaking or quietness the next time. Oh, it was so different in his first coming. He first came to this obscure town, a little town of Bethlehem outside of Jerusalem, and hardly anyone noticed, but a few men working in the fields and a few farm animals noticed. He came the first time lying in a, in a manger, but Highland, he will come the second time riding on the clouds. Uh, Daniel prophesied this. It's not on the screen, but we don't have time to turn to your Bible. It's in Daniel chapter seven, where Daniel writes, prophesying the second coming of Christ. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Enjoy singing Silent Night now because we're not going to sing that anymore after the second Christmas. Secondly, the first Christmas and the second Christmas, sec second thing I want you to see, he came humbly to bring salvation the first time, but he'll come gloriously the second time to bring judgment. First time he came in this great humility to provide salvation for all who would believe his death on the cross, his resurrection three days later to, to save men, to save women. This is, this is the truth of his resurrection all throughout history. But he'll come the second time in glory to execute judgment. So the picture here is the glory of God revealed and the glorious Son of God bringing power to bring 
judgment upon the sins of humanity. This is why it says in verse 30, you probably did not miss this. Some tribes or many will mourn. Why will they mourn when they see the son of God? Why will they mourn when they see Christ? Because for many, this will be a day of judgment. For those who were not ready for the son of God to return, they had refused to turn from their sin. And this is what Jesus had talked about just a few chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 22, when he told that parable that the king's going to come. And some people will not be ready. They will not be dressed for the return of the king. Let me end on this. How then do we live with the second Christmas coming? Jesus was very clear. First of all, build your life on God's word. Why is this so important for you not to see this today on, on this Christmas evening, sitting here in the 21st century, applying this text to our lives? Uh, you can mark this down. This is a mammoth reality here for you and I to realize the things of this world are passing away. Think back real quick, or you can turn back if you want to, to verse 2. We looked at it about 15 minutes ago. Matthew 24, verse 2. When the disciples were pointing out the temple, and then Jesus said, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now just think about these disciples. Put yourself in, in, in their shoes for just a moment. These are men from simple places. They are not accustomed to such beautiful uh, things in, in, in Jerusalem. These are country boys from from Galilee. The disciples were not from Dallas and Austin. They were from Golson and, and from Belmead and from Lacey Lakeview. And so they, they come into Jerusalem and they see all these incredible things and they're, they're looking at that temple. And Jesus said, oh, that temple, it's gonna fall. That beautiful building that's been built by a king himself, Herod, it's gonna fall. In fact, there won't even be one stone left on top of another stone. And sure enough, 40 years after Jesus said this, the Roman army would come in, Titus and, and the Roman soldiers, and they would destroy Jerusalem. They'd lay siege to it and they'd go to the temple and they would make sure that all of these stones, some of them are 12 feet wide and 12 feet deep. Some of them are 200,000 pounds per stone and they tumbled over the, the temple. Jesus' words were, were true, and he said not one of those stones will be, be left upon another. So the disciples, they're just asking questions about, about the, the thing that looks so beautiful to them, the things that look so permanent to them. And Jesus says, no, those things, those beautiful things that you see, those things will pass away, which leads us really to the key verse in this entire chapter. We didn't read it, but it's chapter 24, it's verse, verse 35. When, and Jesus said, and let me just pick up verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation, speaking about the generation that, that, that the temple would be destroyed, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. All the world, with all of its splendor, the, the forest, the mountains, the, the beautiful things that we see, all of these things will they're all fading. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says. But listen again to the statement. My words will not pass away. Therefore, I say to you, Highland, build your lives upon the word of God. Build your life upon the things that will not pass away. Trust in the authority of, of Christ. He spoke about the destruction of Jerusalem, and it happened. He spoke about his return one day. It will happen.
second and last. How do we live in light of a second Christmas? Secondly, and it's kind of implied all throughout this passage, persevere in the Spirit's power. How do you get ready for that day when Christ will return as he has promised? The the second exhortation here is Jesus' words in this passage to to persevere in the power of Christ, to persevere in the Spirit's power. I hope that you see the significance of, of everything in here that he is saying in this passage. He is preparing his disciples for difficult times to come. But not just the disciples in that day. He is preparing the hearts of everyone in this room for also difficult days to come. Uh, Different timelines of history, but the same difficulty. We will face different challenges, but in some ways they'll be just the same. And Jesus is telling us here, endure. Do not let your love grow cold. Do not be led astray. Jesus had really mentioned all throughout this passage, these four things will endure. There'll be deception, there'll be tribulation, there'll be temptation, there'll be persecution. A lot of people like to take Matthew chapter 24 and say, okay, so these things have to happen. And as soon as these things happen, all of a sudden Jesus will, he'll he'll appear immediately. I don't think that's the point of Matthew chapter 24. The point is not to read this passage and try to set some date for Jesus to appear. In fact, Jesus said himself in verse 36, I don't even know the day. I don't even know the hour, which is a pretty remarkable statement. The point of this text is not to lead us to date setting of what day will Jesus come back? The point is for you and I to walk away from this text knowing what's going to happen before Jesus returns and just know there'll be a temptation to leave Jesus. And there'll be false teachers that will arise and say, hey, I'm the Christ. And many, that's, that's a heavy word, many. Many in the world, many in our nation, many in our city, many in this room be led astray. What if this were to happen today? If before we even made it back to our homes here in a little bit, that the sky opened up and Jesus came riding on the clouds today, would you be ready? If not, today I would plead with you to turn away from sin and turn away from self and turn to this Jesus that offers life. But if you long for that day, if you long for that day, what a glorious day it's going to be when Jesus comes and completes his fourth commitment to come and take his people home. Christ has come. There's now a new way to relate to God. Christ has come. Light has now entered into the darkness of our world and the darkness of our hearts. Mercy is now available for those who need it. And oh, we need it. And eternal life with God is now offered on the basis of grace. And because he faithfully came once, he'll faithfully come again. The first Christmas just guarantees us there'll be a second Christmas. Would you stand with me, please? And let's pray together. Father, thank you for the reminders, the implications, the impact of Christ having come. God, would you, by your grace, allow us to build our lives upon your word? Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but Jesus, your word to us, it will not pass away. Therefore, we should build our lives 
unstoppable, the things that last forever. And God, we also understand that there'll be difficult times just as the disciples would face great difficulty. So the disciples of the 21st century would face great difficulty. But by your glorious grace, we ask that you would help us by your spirit's power to endure to the end, to persevere, and that we might be a part of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. We praise you today, Jesus, for this glorious grace that has appeared, been given to us, because Christ has come.